That was a good tune, wasn't it? Well, good morning. Welcome to El Paso Bible Church. It is good to see you. Looking forward to worshiping in song with you. I do have a single announcement today. If you picked up a bulletin on your way in, uh, you'll notice there on the center page that we are announcing our annual congregational meeting happening today right after the worship service. Now, everyone is uh, welcome to attend. Uh, in fact, I, I would probably say encouraged to attend, uh, and, but only members can vote. Uh, what do you vote on? We, we uh, review financials, uh, yearly financials, ministry leaders give a ministry report. Uh, we also have a, a construction project update. And uh, speaking of building or construction, right after the worship service today, uh, Bill Holmes is going to uh, do a little tour on the new building right next to us. So uh, I encourage you to look at that. It's, it's, it's awesome to see the progress. Uh, paint is up. Sheetrock is up. And uh, so anyway, uh, so yeah, only members can vote. And uh, you may be wondering how you become a member. Well, you may be coming for 20 years here, and that doesn't make you a member, unfortunately. We actually have a membership process, if you're interested in that. It's fairly simple, fairly straightforward. Uh, you could talk to Pastor Josh, Denise, or, or one of the elders, and we'd be happy to... Uh, give you some information on that. So, uh, again, uh, annual congregational meeting today right after the worship service. I am reading today out of uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 and on. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in, his in the glory of his Father with his angels. And then he will reward each according to his works. Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here. Who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Will you join me in prayer? Uh, Heavenly Father, we are thankful today for your grace and just for the blessing of coming together as a body, as a church, to worship you in song, uh, to lift our prayers to you. And Father, we ask that everything we do would be to make you famous, to bring glory to your name. And we ask that you'd also be with Pastor Josh as he uh, teaches and preaches out of your word. Uh, he would encourage us. Uh, it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us, church? Christ our King, your name, 
Jesus, the only one who could ever say, worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you.
seated. Well, good morning. You guys, uh, children, you can go to Children's Church if that's where you go at this time. That's what we're, what we're doing. Just a reminder, we do have our, our mem- members meeting, congregational meeting, annual meeting after the service today. And we're going to have, uh, you don't have to RSVP for that thing. Um, but uh, we did have a sign up for sandwiches. We have some extras, but uh, just be aware. Uh, that that's based on a number there, but please stay, even if you're not a, a signed on the dotted line voting member uh, of a Paso Bible Church, there's nothing there that's secret. Uh, we want you to all know what good things the Lord is doing at El Paso Bible Church, and there are tons of them, so we're happy to have you stay. Uh, and remember to, to avail yourself of the tour of the, of the new building that Bill's going to do right after the service, um, and, uh, because it's really amazing, so you would enjoy that, I think. Uh, but before we begin, go ahead and turn your Bibles uh, to First Thessalonians, um, uh, not as we're praying, perhaps, but uh, I'll pray before we begin. Father, we thank you for this day. Uh, we thank you for lives that we have uh, through your Son here today. We thank you for the life that you've given us, life eternal, that is to know your Son. Uh, that's what the Bible defines eternal life as. Father, we thank you for that. Thank you for the opportunity to spend this time in your word. We thank you for the blessing that you've given to each one of us today to be able to do that. Father, thank you, and we ask your blessing on this time in your word. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So go ahead, and if you didn't finish turning, go ahead and turn or click or whatever to 1 Thessalonians 2. And uh, we've been talking about a pattern, right? And we talked about this in Sunday school as we were reading through multiple chapters, actually, in a row of a lot of instructions, a lot of uh, this is how to build this, this is how to build that, this is how many cubits this is and how many cubits that is. And we, we made the point uh, to make sure that we understood that when God gives detailed instructions to a particular audience, that we ought to pay attention to them. Now, we contrasted that to areas of liberty. So what happens so frequently in areas of liberty in, in Bible teaching is that people insert instructions that aren't there. We don't want to do that. Right? Right? Yeah. We want liberty where God has made liberty. We want to follow instructions where God has given instructions. And here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, what we have is a long explanation, really, uh, for Paul of a pattern. Of a pattern that the Thessalonican church was commended for following so precisely uh, that they became the pattern themselves. They were imitators and they became the pattern. They were, they were responsible for an impressive level of what I've been calling pattern integrity. Uh, they, they became copyable, repeatable, uh, very impressive. They did that because they worked obediently. They obeyed Jesus Christ. Uh, they labored lovingly. That's, that talks about how they worked towards Christ's likeness in their relationships with each other. They were sacrificial in nature uh, when, they, when they met each other's needs and understood how to, how to live with one another in the body of Christ. They, they approached what God was doing in their local church with optimism, knowing that God has good things in store for the local church. And you can do that, by the way. You can approach a local church, despite popular opinion these days, apparently, and look and see and be optimistic about what Christ is doing in the local church. They didn't have any greed. They didn't have any flattering speech. That means that they were able to speak truth to each other. That's not just about what I say to you, but that's about what you expect from me, right? If we say we're not going to be, we're going to be a flattery-free zone. I, I can speak words that are unflattering necessarily, or nece- unflattering, maybe not. I can speak truth to you that is direct and clear and simple, and you're going to grow a skin, and I promise to do the same. You're not going to go off and cry about it or stomp off about it, but I'm not, not going to do that either. So we're going to have no flattering speech, right? That was the pattern. No greed. We're not going to do things for the sake of, of money, and there was no narcissism, as would be the modern term for it. They weren't seeking after their own glory within the ministry of their church. And they worked hard. 
number of elements to this pattern. They worked hard so that they didn't create a crushing burden for people within the body of Christ. So the imitators, they imitated Christ, they imitated Paul, Silas, Timothy. They imitated the example they were following perfectly. And those are the elements that we've talked about, right? Obedient, loving, optimism, no flattering speech, no greed, no narcissism, and hard work. That was the pattern. And the church in Thessalonica, because they followed the pattern, was highly functional because of that. They were choice. They were, as I've mentioned, that when, when Paul says that they are choice, he means that they were exceptional. Doesn't that sound exceptional to be able to follow that pattern? They were choice. They were exceptional. You know what normal people, when they see something when, that's exceptional, you know what they do? They go, wow, that is exceptional. I want to be like that, don't they? Yeah? Now, I admit that's somewhat contextually dependent. When I watch somebody, um, say, in, uh, in the Winter Olympics, going on right now, I imagine, I haven't watched any of it, but, and what do they have in the Winter Olympic? They got all sorts of crazy cool stuff, and then the curlers come out, right? With the little brooms. I don't care how excellent you are, I do not ever have a desire to be exceptional at curling, or figure skating, or whatever. But I can acknowledge the exceptionalism, and I can even encourage people who have a desire to be exceptional at those things. I could say, look, if you want to be the curling champion of the world, that's the guy to follow. <laughs> I will chuckle if you say that to me. Just warning. But normal people acknowledge exceptionality for what it is. They go, man, that's amazing. That's something special. They look for good examples to follow. They look for good patterns to emulate. And by normal, I mean sane, functional people, you know. <laughs> look for an exceptional pattern to copy. But in recent years, there's a lot of dysfunction and insanity that has prevailed, hasn't there? When it comes to following patterns... Anytime, anytime you say, look, wow, well, that is exceptional, that's special, that is an achievement, the cacophony of the community chorus around you, oh yeah, well, we don't like that, I think he's judging my, he's calling me mediocre, simply for existing. You didn't do that yourself. You're not exceptional. You're not special. Not too many years ago, we had a president that said something like that. You didn't build that, he said. Build what? Any of it. That's what he meant. You didn't achieve. You didn't build. You didn't achieve anything. You're not exceptional. It hurts people's feelings for other people to be exceptional. And that's not what it's designed to do, is it? It's designed to be inspirational. And the accusations get kind of ugly. People accuse other people with discipline of having That's what they're saying. They say, you didn't do that. You didn't achieve that. You didn't accomplish that. And you're not really exceptional. It's a little bit further down than it used to be. They think if you're exceptional, it had to be because of something that was granted to you, something that was privileged that you received. As if if everyone starts out equal, they get equal results... That's a dangerous philosophy. It's a dangerous philosophy. It's a terrible doctrine, if we're to use Bible language about it. It's a terrible teaching, right? Because particularly in Scripture, God is in the business of taking people who have no exceptionality 
the least amount of any kind of anything that we would recognize as privilege, the most broken, and turning the world on its ear with those people. Make a terrible doctrine. So when we look out, and, and to use terminology that gets thrown around all the time, what we look at and see as privilege, is, is, or a lack of privilege, is in fact an opportunity for God's grace. It's an opportunity for God's power and his mercy in someone's life. It, it is not a fate. It is not a destiny that was assigned to them. When we see something exceptional, we need to acknowledge it as Exceptional. And that's what Thessalonica was, the church here of the Thessalonians. We'll talk about this as we go on. For this reason, verse 13, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. So this also is exceptional. Paul, Silas, Timothy, the cohort here that that are writing this letter are constantly giving thanks for this church, for this local church. That, That in and of itself is amazing, right? They received the word that was spoken to them, and it's almost always in terms of hearing because it wasn't like you guys. They didn't have a Bible on their phone. They didn't have a Bible in the pew in front of them. Most of the people heard the word that as the letter was read to them. They heard the teaching, right? Even Paul says this in Romans 10, 17, right? Hearing, faith comes by hearing the word of God. There's a benefit simply to speaking the word of God to somebody that they don't get necessarily by reading it themselves, in my opinion. That's how I understand it. But they receive those words as the word of God They believed it, and that's why we call them believers. That's why they get called brethren, because they had believed the gospel, and having believed the gospel, they received the gift of life from Jesus Christ. They have been justified. They were declared righteous, and they were given the gift of eternal life. They were made part of the church. Now, that's a a one-time event, justification, completed thing, based on believing a very narrow portion of Scripture. Frankly. Very narrow. That's how God's Word works in the life of an unbeliever. In other words, if somebody comes to you and says to you, how do I receive eternal life? Do not teach them about Dove the Edomite. Don't do that. That's not what that scripture is for. Don't. I can't equivocate on that. I can't flex. Don't do it. That's not the part of scripture that an unbeliever needs to hear if they need life that they don't currently possess. But there's an additional thing here because he talks about an event and a process. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God. Accepted, right? They did that at a point in time. It was a completed action. That's the view there. But then he says, the word of God, which is performing its work in you who are believing. It's a participle in there present tense verb, the idea of this action that is ongoing. That's for the believer. That's the church at Thessalonica. They needed to continue to receive the word of God as they were believing the truth that came from it. Receiving God's word has this particular effect and a benefit in the life of a believer that it allows God's word to work in their lives as they continue to receive and believe it. This is why it's very dangerous to turn all the ministries of a church into an evangelistic effort alone. Because that's not what the believer in Jesus Christ needs. They need God's word to work in their lives. And in order to do that, they need more to believe.
God's word is working in you who are believing. And the word is energeo, an effective work, right? Not just making a lot of dust. When I was growing up in my dad's woodshop before he was professional and he needed to get me out of his hair. Right, dads? Sometimes you got to do that. And sometimes it's not just a three and four year old that you got to do it with, right? So you can't do this anymore because a two by four is a hundred bucks and nails are like 500 bucks a pound or something, right, Ryan? I mean, there's something crazy like that. But my dad would give me a big old honking hammer and a big pie, jar of old nails and a two by four and say, go to town, son, if he needed me out of the way for a minute. It's okay. I can acknowledge that sometimes my dad needed me out of the way. And man, I would make a porcupine out of that two by four. I would kneel till the cows came home. We didn't even have any cows. It took a long time. But it wasn't energeo. It wasn't effective work. I wasn't using the nail for its purpose. I wasn't joining two pieces of wood to make a truss of any kind. I was just working. But that's not what God's word does in your life. It doesn't just inspire you to do busy work, which is why I don't hand out busy work, guys. God's word doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. It's effective work. Enter go. It works effectively when believers continue to believe it. If you're believing God's word, it is working in you right now as a believer in Jesus Christ. One of the most common mistakes that people make is to try to try to make everything in the Bible about how to go to heaven when you die. Don't correlate everything. Very small portions of the Bible. Very small portions of the Bible are directly, deter- directly designed to teach an unbeliever how to receive eternal life. You know why? Because all of the Bible is written to believers. Do you know why that is? Who's supposed to tell unbelievers about the gospel? How many unbelievers do you know that just sit around and read the Bible? They're going to come, they're going to go like to Dog the Edomite passages. They're not going to go where they need to go. They don't know the difference. They don't have the Holy Spirit to enlighten them, to illuminate the scripture to them. They need you. Faith comes by hearing. They need you to tell them about Jesus. Because this book was written to believers so that the word of God would do the energeo in your life. And one of the energeos in your life, the effective works, is that you would relate the message of eternal life to those who need it. Because most of the Bible doesn't really even talk about that. It tells you how to live your life and what to expect in the future. So what do we know from this? We know that God's word was effectively working in the lives of the Thessalonican believers because they were right then believing it more and more and more. You know, it's God's word that works. It's, it's what guarantees the harvest. In fact, if you remember uh, in the Synoptic Gospels, there's the, what we call the parable of the sower. And people have spent a lot of time fighting a lot of theological battles over who is saved and who isn't in the parable of the sower. Let me tell you something. That's not the point of that parable. The point of the parable is to explain to the disciples how God's word works. And if you pay attention, it's because all the crowds got bored and went home. Sounds like what's happening widespread in the American church. Everybody got bored and went home during the pandemic. Thank you for being here, by the way. Thank you. Because y'all are exceptional right now. And Jesus says to the disciples, I only need a little good soil and a little good seed. 30, 60, and 100 fold is the harvest. Because God's word doesn't need all of that. God's word can work effectively in the lives of those who are believing it. God's word does that. It works effectively 
and faithful hearers. What about their exceptionality, their extraordinariness? That's a long word. I want to ask you to spell that one. Their extraordinariness. Why were they so awesome? I mean, the Thessalonian church was incredible, actually. This is the longest section, if I understand correct, of just Paul giving thanks for somebody. Just gushing. In all of his epistles, proportionately, this is the longest one of him just saying, you guys, you guys are great. We give thanks for you all the time. You are amazing how you imitated the perfect example that we gave you. He doesn't say that about anybody else, that the imitators became the pattern. What about it? Well, it wasn't because they had church privilege. Let's read. Verse 14, for you, brethren became imitators of the church of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. Second time, they say, you copied somebody. You became imitators of the church of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, for you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews. Your friends and neighbors persecuted you when you heard the gospel, Thessalonians. You were just like those other churches in Judea who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They are not pleasing to God, but hostile to all men, hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved, with the result that they always fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them to the finish. Or to the utmost. One narrow area that they became imitators of other churches, and that was that at the, from the very beginning, when they received the gospel of Jesus Christ from Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they were persecuted for it. They were persecuted for it. Now, if you if you are if you have a large family, you're from a large family, I happen to be kind of both. Although some of y'all have much larger families than I do even. But I think in the United States we're below 1.7 on average, so all of us have large families, right? You have a dynamic, right? You can become imitators. Um, our oldest sons are twins. They imitated each other. Their behavior for their younger siblings. I'm not saying it was good, bad, or ugly, right? But their behavior in a large family like that is extended enough, right, that it could serve either as a warning for their younger siblings or as an example, right? Serve as a warning or as an example. The churches in Judea were the older siblings. They were persecuted when they believed in Jesus Christ, when they started loving and each other and working obediently and doing all of the things that the Thessalonians were commended for continuing to do and becoming the pattern. They did all of those things, but, but that was also the churches in which we find in like Acts 15, you can go back right at the very beginning of Acts 15. It says that there were some believing Pharisees who had already become Judaizers. They said to the, to the believers in, in Jerusalem, you guys, yes, salvation is free, but you also got to keep the law. You also got to be circumcised. That happened in the churches at Judea. That was a warning to the church at Thessalonica rather than an example. They became imitators in that limited sense that they, too, were persecuted. But instead of bowing to the persecution and becoming Judaizers, as had happened in the church at Jerusalem by Acts 15, they became exceptional and committed to the pattern 
endured the persecution, endured the suffering, endured the humiliation and the hostility. Their experience as a local church was not one of privilege. They were not accepted from the, the hostility and the suffering and the persecution that came from their community when they received the gospel of Jesus Christ. They engaged it faithfully. The Thessalonians had suffered the same thing as the churches in Judea at the hands of their community. I mean, we're talking their neighbors, their friends, their customers. That one hits Americans right in the pocketbook, right? Their friends, their neighbors, their community, their customers. They went to the same birthday parties, the bar mitzvahs. And all of a sudden, like a light switch had flipped, their experience went to one of hostility. Starting to hit a nerve here a little bit. It got more grim than I expected. You okay? All right. Their neighborhood became unwelcome. People who were hostile to the gospel, and thus Paul says they were hostile towards all men. If you want all people to die in their trespasses and sins, that's hostility. And keeping the gospel from going forth is hostility towards all men, all humans. The heart of that persecution, he says, is the same. And you guys, Thessalonians, experienced it, but you responded differently to it. You were treated the same way as we were treated by those who killed Jesus and the prophets. You were treated the exact same way. You experienced the same persecution that Paul himself experienced. And he doesn't pull any punches for them. He says that the the wrath that is coming is coming upon them to the utmost. They're destined for that. The wrath that is coming to this earth. Remember, we talked at some length about the nature of what wrath is in Scripture. A lot of people, again, equate that to something that it's not. The wrath of God is something that comes to this earth. It doesn't care whether you believe in heaven or hell. It doesn't care whether you believe in Jesus Christ or not. It does not care. The wrath is coming. And the only way to escape it is to go with Jesus. That's what Paul said at the very beginning of this book, that Jesus is the one who rescues us from the wrath that is coming. It's coming to this earth. But their exceptionality had nothing to do with any kind of privilege. They had the same circumstances to start with. They experienced the same persecution, the same hostility, the same problems. They all suffered. If any of these churches had any privilege at all, it was simply that privilege that the apostles had when they went in the earlier parts of Acts. And they went forth rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. But one church was not unique to another in that regard. They all suffered that same way. The privilege of suffering. So why were they exceptional? Why were they exceptional? The answer doesn't fit on a bumper sticker. And it may not be that exciting. Something that I had to tell a number of my sons. Son, one of the definitions of maturity is being able to work hard at something that doesn't just excite you to death. Right, guys? Am I the only one here that doesn't get up every morning and go, yippee! (laughs) About everything that I'm about to do today. Part of the definition of maturity is being able to wake up and work hard at something that you're not terribly excited about. And not everything that is an application from Scripture is something that is going to get you excited. It's not going to get your button gear on Monday necessarily unless you are mature about it. Sorry, did I just say button gear? From I did. It's not going to do it unless you commit to it and do it. It's not going to change your life unless you can approach it in a more mature fashion than the vast majority of people that attend churches in this world. Can I be honest? It's not going to do that. 
So what made the Thessalonian church exceptional? It wasn't their privilege. It wasn't their beginning. It wasn't their budget. It was in spite of the persecution that they had. And you're going to remember these because I just reviewed them. They worked obediently. Y'all haven't started the noisemakers and the balloons yet. They worked obediently. They loved each other sacrificially. They were optimistic about what Christ was going to do in their local church and was doing. They didn't have time to flatter each other. They didn't have time to flatter each other. They didn't have time to flatter each other. I have to say that three times in the culture where everybody gets the blue ribbon. They didn't flatter each other. They weren't greedy. They weren't narcissistic. They didn't seek for men's glory. They all worked hard so that they weren't a crushing burden within the context that Christ had placed them. But one more today. And that is that they were exceptional. Exceptional. In the way that they heard, understood, and believed God's word when they received it. Over and over and over. For you who are in Sunday school, that's why even though a lot of the information in Exodus 37 to 40 is a repetition, we read it anyway. Because it's God's work in God's word and our ghetto in your life. And we cannot do it justice any other way. They believed God's word consistently without succumbing to apathy, without succumbing to indifference or lethargy. But they were excited to see how God's word would work effectively in their lives. Y'all still haven't gotten out the noisemakers or the fireworks. I'm okay if I don't sound exciting when I tell you those things. If people seem like they need to be exciting all the time when they speak to you, I do not trust them. The only people who have been excited every time they've seen me have had dollar signs in their eyes, to be quite honest. Are they there? I don't have any greed. I'm not telling you anything. It's not supposed to be exciting. But we need to welcome what God's word says. To understand it, to believe it today, tomorrow, the next day, and as long as the Lord leaves us on the earth so that it can work effectively in our lives. Because we do want to be exceptional. And that's how this church was exceptional. That way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We do thank you for your word. We thank you uh, for the Thessalonian pattern. We thank you uh, for this portion of your word that celebrates and thanks them for their exceptionality and the clear teaching as to what it is and what made it exceptional. Thank you for the life that we have to live before you simply as a gift from your son by believing in him. Thank you that we have to live it for your glory and not for the, to please men, to please ourselves, to flatter others, to be greedy, but to be optimistic about what you are doing in your church today. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, just a reminder, uh, Bill Holmes is going to lead that tour right after the worship service. So if you'd like to look at the new building, uh, just follow him this way. There's nothing that our God can do There's not a mountain that He can't move Oh, praise the name that makes a way There's nothing that our God can do There's nothing that our God can do There's not a prison wall He can't break through Away. There's nothing 